just rich? Was it that bad a sermon last week? Ephesians 5. Y'all ladies got the focus, the, the, the wives in particular. Submit. I hope you've been following the rules you've been presented with all week. And if you have, you weren't paying attention to the sermon. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. We went through this last week. Amen? I'm not going to re-preach it, because apparently I preached way too long last week, I was told. Renee heard it loud. No, Renee didn't tell me that. No one told me that. I realized my time went a little longer than usual. No one said I preached too long. You may have been thinking it. Y'all are too kind, perhaps. Last week with the wise, we looked at submission. We looked at doing it out of love, with confidence, according to Scripture. That's how the Lord intends his church to submit to him. Now we're going to talk about the husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I'm going to stop there because you're going to get one more week of this, man. You're getting the double whammy. Shall we have some fun to start out with? Husband tells his wife, I want you to wash the sheets on Friday and change them. Like clockwork every Friday. What is the wife supposed to do? Submit, right? Yield to me. Husband tells his wife she's going to spend $100 a week. Period. Too much on the shoes. Too many deals and steals. Hundred bucks, nothing over. What does the wife do? And don't don't give me the, the Christianese answer, because because wives, I hope you I hope you're feeling what I expect you to be feeling. Oh yeah, hundred bucks, huh? And spend five hundred and then we can talk. You want the sheets washed on Friday? Have at it, champ. But but is that right? Husband tells the wife the activities the children are allowed to participate in and nothing else. Do what I say and do it the right way. What do you do? I mean, I'm being serious. We got any wives here? Jim tells Barb, Friday, get them their sheets done, sweetie. Be coming back up from my recliner in an hour and a half. Might want to do it quick. Barb says, let's talk. All right, so Barb says, let's talk. And, and, and Jim's got a half-baked sermon out of Ephesians 5. Weren't you listening last week, sweetie? Says, says right here, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And Jim was really paying attention. So he's going. Out of love, confidently, and according to Scripture. So, so, so Barb... What a great way to love me, serve me, do the sheets. Why don't you trust Jesus knows what he's doing? Even if I'm wrong, God is always right. You see, we, we can make a mess out of this, can't we? Now, I'll give you answers to these at, at some point, because they're not as complicated as they may initially seem. 
can show you part of the problem. What, what if the wife has a, uh, an actual shopping issue? Men can have this too, don't misunderstand, but what if there's a compulsive, sinful drive behind buying shoes and the husband's trying to care for his wife? But what if the husband has a controlling issue and is just trying to tighten the screws? Why don't we understand more fully what biblical headship is, what biblical submission is, and what we're supposed to do with it? So first thing I want you to to understand, you can't do this on your own. Apart from regeneration, apart from being born anew in Christ, wives cannot submit and husbands cannot love as Christ calls us to. Do do you all understand that? Do you understand why that's hard to grasp? My my mom and dad are, are not saved people. They carry out very nicely a, a Christianese view of headship and submission in marriage. My dad was in charge growing up. He, he laid down the law. He would hand my mom money. He would come home. He'd, we had a money drawer in our house. And he would say with, with these exact words to my mom, Here, here's your money for the week. It was a little more than 100 bucks. She got by okay. He would say to her certain things like, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're not going to do. And it wasn't a dictatorial, I rule, you bow the knee. But she did. She, she would follow his lead appropriately. She was a stay-at-home mom. She didn't do the sheets on Friday, but Nat did. Every Friday, the sheets got ripped, washed, and redone. It was a very orderly, ordered home. Dad was in charge. Mom was a a supporting cast in that. She was in charge of raising the kids. He was in charge of making the money. Lost people. Well, Well, let's dig into this. It says here, verse 25, Husbands, you are in charge as the head of the home. Rule your kingdom. Did I read that right? I don't think so. It does say, verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife. I'll tease something up for you next week. It talks about Christ being the head of the body. You know where your head is? Answer a question. You know where your body is? Isn't the head a part of the body? Aren't we a part of Christ? Aren't a husband and wife one flesh? Well, it's almost like I could preach a whole sermon on that next week as we finish off Ephesians 5, and this all makes perfect sense. Because my head doesn't say to my hand, yield to me. There's really not a distinct difference between, well, we'll get into that next week. But I go to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. This is the inevitable part of the sermon where, where I have to go. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Come on, help me out, people. 1993, that song came out. I spent an entire summer at Gold Gyms in Yonkers, New York, the only dude not on steroids, watching Lou Ferrigno on the Preacher Curl, listening to, What is love? Baby, what, what is love? Well, you know the response. What's love got to do? 
got to do with it? Ooh, what's love but a... <laughs> Driving up to Cape Cod in the summers, my sister and I thought Tina Turner was singing What's Love, Scrap the Poo. Don't know why. How many songs about love? I wonder, wonder who, do, 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 who? You know who wrote the book of love? Well, well, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What is love? You know, when I met Laura in college, she was a big fan of Dr. Pepper. And, and we were dating for a while, and you had that awkward, you know, transition where the, the young man says to the young woman, I love you, and you're waiting, is there like, oh? Or is there a reciprocity? And one day we're out to lunch, and she said, I love Dr. Pepper. And me being the over-analytical one, so well, 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 hold on a minute. Am I Dr. Pepper? Like, well, you, you, well, you picture a, a little girl looking at a beautiful dress that she just got, and she says, little girl's all speaking a British accent, Carrie L., you got that? You say, oh, I love it, right? Get a puppy dog, I love him. You unwisely say, my dog loves me. That cake was delicious. I love it. First John 4, 8. God is love. What is love? How do we as husbands love our wives? Well, thanks be to God that he not only tells us what love is, but he shows us what we're called to. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let me point something out to you that I, I imagine some of you miss. Greek has three words for love. Eros, phileo, agapao. Technically, there's another word, storge, but they fit in, so stick with me. Eros, attraction to. When I first met Laura, it was eros. What I was saying is, you're good looking. That's what you mean by I love you. You're good looking. Don't know I'm going to die for you right now. I'm not giving you all my wallet to walk away. There's, she did a good job of accessing the funds, right? That was back in the day when I had to pay. She, I paid for everything. And she would do this trick. Any of you ladies do this trick when, when you were dating? Oh, I left my purse at home. <laughs> Looks like you're doing dishes, honey. Eros, attraction to. Phileo, affection towards or fondness towards, right? So, so Charlie loves his brothers. And one of the ways he'll mess around with his brothers is he'll try to give them a kiss, right? And you will watch those kids run away. Charlie gets this grin. You can look at his face. JJ will run down the road because, uh-uh. Cameron is in this in-between stage where, where he's kind, but brothers don't walk around, Right? But I hope they love each other. Phileo, brotherly affection. Like Philadelphia, that city you may have heard of, the city of brotherly love. Agapao, agape, sacrificial, selfless, other-focused action for the best, for the well-being, for the wholeness of another. I may eros, Dr. Pepper. I may phileo, 
someone from college that I enjoyed their company. But I want to agapao my wife as Christ loved the church. Jesus erases you. If you are in Christ, Jesus erases you and phileos you, meaning he is fond of you and attracted to you and delights in you. Do, do you know that? Well, God saved me for his glory. True. But God saved you because he delights in you and is fond of you and is, listen, attracted to you. He is delighting in you to draw you to him, to live with him forever. I should be able to support this biblically, but I can't. It just feels good, so we'll go with it. No. Isaiah 62.5. You ever read it? Check her out. It says, God rejoices over his people. Just chew on that for a minute. God rejoices over you in Christ. How about Psalm 149.4? God takes pleasure in his people. So love is eros, phileo, agapao, all smashed together, demonstrated in Christ giving himself for his church, humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, to save us to himself with a purpose of sanctifying us so we might know him and enjoy him perfectly forever. You didn't love Dr. Pepper, Laura. Your doggy don't love you. You know why? Listen, I got two of them. They like me the best. Right, Char? <laughs> but they don't love me. You know why? They can't. They're not image bearers, and they're not regenerated. Love is very different. Side note, you want to know how to not sin? Been talking about this in Sunday school. I'll make it so simple. You want to know how to not sin? Know how much God loves you properly. What did you say? Die? You know, that's a new pastoral approach. <laughs> Gather round, ye children come. Listen to the sound of gunfire. As we sanctify each one. Oh, sorry. By a shot of steel rim fire. Gather round. The more you understand how much God loves you, the more disgusting sin becomes and the more appealing obedience becomes. It's really that simple. Stop trying to not sin and start trying to see the love of God more clearly. Yes, there's an aspect of putting off, stopping sin, putting sin to death, but ultimately it's killed when we see the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. Do you, do you understand that? Because it's not just stopping doing the wrong, it's pivoting to do the right. It's trusting in the goodness and wisdom and mercy and grace and, 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 and robust graces of God in Christ Jesus. So, let's go this way. Do you love Jesus? Anybody? You like Dr. Pepper? No. Like the pretty little dress? Like a powerful puppy dog? Well, it's not really so much about us loving Jesus is the key. It's about Jesus loving us. And that's why John 14, 5 says, if you love me, you will hang a picture of me on your wall that matches your ethnicity because I look just like you. It says, you will wear a cross necklace. I love Jesus. Now, what does Jesus say? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Why would he say that? Because we love him because he first loved us. 
And by regenerating us through this saving love, he causes us by a new spirit and a new heart to rest in his goodness and grace and love, which is evidenced by our obedience to him. Said another way, if you love me, you will delight in me. Husbands, love your wives. How has Christ loved the church? You see the problem? You see the problem there? Put the three together, eros, phileo, agapao, <clears throat> sacrificially. This is how headship is carried out. The husband is the head of the wife. That's the position. The husband is called to love his wife as Christ loved the church. That's the action that the position enables us to carry out. Headship is not so much about being in charge. It's about being charged with the care of our wife. Now you really want to see how confusing and wonderfully exciting and God necessitating this is? It says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So go back, if you will, and you'll notice earlier on, verse 22, Christ is called the Savior of the church. Why does Paul put that in? Are husbands the Savior of their wives? It's a trick question. It's a trick question. Is Dan Hoover the Savior of Kim? When they met, she thought so. Oh, my prince in armor! That's what Kim sounded like when she was very young. I love him. He's come to save me. Right? And then Dan said, you may only have $10 of my kingdom wealth to buy one shoe. Okay. Uh, yes, husbands are the savior of their wives. I did say that. Christ is the savior of all people. First uh, Timothy 4.10. Check it out. I'll join you there. 1 Timothy 4.10. So you're going to the right. Husbands, we've got to understand what we're called to here. You're not the Savior in the salvific sense. But for this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Say, what? The Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Yeah. Savior means preserver and protector and keeper from harm or evil. And in, all, in some ways, God keeps all people from harm or evil in some ways. The Savior of all people. Husbands are the Savior of their wives in the sense that our charge is to work in love, to keep our wives from harm and evil, first and foremost spiritually, but yes, also physically. I'm not functional Jesus in the home, but I am called to protect from harm and evil, my wife and my family, first and foremost, in the spiritual realm. Notice it also says Christ sanctifies his church. Well, what is that about? Well, well, listen to this. Headship is more about taking responsibility than charge. It's more about giving oneself than asserting one's will. It's more about controlling oneself than controlling one's wife. The goal in headship is the sanctification of the wife. You got me there? My goal as a husband, charged by God as the head of the family, is to make sure that my wife is as well positioned as possible to see herself as Christ sees her. 
so that she might fully understand to the best of her abilities the graces that she has in Christ. That is biblical headship. That is love. It is, it is the fight to make her as whole as possible as God intends, not as her personal Savior. I'm not Jesus in the home, but I'm called to point the home to Jesus, who is the Savior of people from the wrath of God to become children of God by the grace of God. Do you see what I'm saying there? Her sanctification is my aim in headship. So if she's got a shoe shopping problem, I might want to pull back the reins and say, hey, honey, let's be careful there. If I got control issues, I want to be careful there because I should be delighting in treating my wife like the princess that she is as a child of the King Most High, not as a princess to be, to be worshipped, but a child of God worthy of honor. Do you see what I'm saying there? Biblical headship is about protecting our wives, men, from spiritual harm along with physical harm. See, my dad was good on the physical side. My mom is about yay tall, and, and, and she'd walk through Gristides in New York with her cart. I remember doing this a couple times. Someone cuts her off. She's like, get out of the way. And she felt tough because everybody gets out of the way. Walking behind her is this large man. Just, you know, it, it's like watching a chihuahua with a German shepherd friend. And be, Woo! It's like, Arr! they don't know what's behind them. You, you couldn't wrong my mama growing up. Okay, I wouldn't recommend trying to wrong my wife. There's enough fleshliness in there. It might not go well for us. But far more so, the spiritual care for the husband to the wife is the issue. My daddy couldn't pull that off. He wasn't born anew in Christ. He, he wasn't able to even care for her physically in a God-honoring way that I could be, that I should be. Let, let me be very careful to say this very clearly. Sometimes husbands abdicate their responsibility. Don't. Why? Makes huge messes. Robs God of glory. Can you rob God of glory? Read Malachi. He says yes. Does harm to your wife and you do harm to your wife, you do harm to yourself. How do you do harm to yourself? Because you and your wife are one flesh. Do harm to your wife, do harm to yourself, do harm to your children. Do harm to yourself, harm to your wife, harm to your children. Look at society. Can I tell you a secret? The devil's greatest place since the beginning of time back in Eden in the fall has been the destruction of the family unit as God ordained it. Did you know that? You tear apart a marriage. Redefine gender roles. Make parents think the kids are in charge. Mm -mm -mm. Now read Romans 1 and watch what's going on in God's wrath of abandonment. One of the, the final swings is, and children will be disobedient to their parents. It's not a cute little thing. The answer isn't whoop them into shape because they get bigger than you do. That's a risky move. It's to love them as Christ does. And in two weeks, we'll look at children and parents. But bring it back full circle. Husbands, don't abdicate, but don't try to dominate. Sometimes the, the husband becomes functional Jesus. You have a question? Come, come to me, the spiritual head of the home. I am ordained by God with a unique wisdom and discernment. And you come to me like Moses at the tabernacle, and I will send you away to obey well, Dad, I want a new car. 
Tell me more. So I'm, I'm thinking of, of a Tesla. Okay, I like those. What color? Blue? No? No, I meant white. Yes, white. How are you paying for this? Well, well, well Dad, I'm 54 now. Okay, but still, right? Or I better say, uh, uh, I'm thinking of dating this girl. What do, what do I do? Let me see her. Bring her forward. It's not Moses at the tabernacle. You're not uniquely ordained. But each of those questions is an appropriate question to ask a spiritual head of a family. So let's not be crazy here, okay? Let, let's round it properly. You know, if Charlie turns 16 and goes out and buys a Tesla, that's cray-cray. Right? Because Charlie's determined he's saving up all his mowing money to get himself a Tesla. And they mow enough that he might get close to at least leasing something for six months. But the husband is not Moses at the tabernacle. The husband is not the Holy Spirit. The husband is not the prophet, priest, and king of the home. The husband is the one charged with directing the home to the Savior, Jesus Christ, to the fellowship of saints where the Holy Spirit works as God intends, Ephesians 1, 2, 3 into 4. The husband is charged with giving an account for the care of his wife and the care of his family, not on his own, because he's not equipped to, but as the head of the family, pointing the wife and the family to the ordinary means of grace that God intends. Do you see that? So yeah, I, I should fight to have <clears throat> answers and biblical wisdom for my wife and kids. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But I don't have all wisdom and all answers. I can't sanctify my wife, I can't sanctify my kids, but I can put them in the places where resurrection power and church power are active so that, ha, huh, I read this in Ephesians. For the mutual upbuilding of the body, the Holy Spirit gifts uniquely according to the measure of faith that we have so that God himself can sanctify us by his word. Here's my charge as the head. This guides my path. I don't do what I do based on feeling. I do what I do based on the word of God. Now, now here's the kicker. You look at Caleb over there. Maybe one day Caleb will grow up to be a husband and a father. Well, when he does, wouldn't it be wonderful if he was brought up in a believing fellowship of saints, being bathed by the word of God in a home where his father was functioning as a spiritual head, to equip him to be what God has called him to be as a child at home, growing into an adult man who is still honoring his parents, but so that if married, he can fulfill that role in a uniquely equipped way. But we're not all Caleb. Some of us got a late start and not in believing home. So what do we do? We praise God for his grace. We, we, we fight for his glory and we do what we can do as the men to live as God has called us so we can care for our wives as God has called us to. Biblical headship. The husband doing all that is possible to place God in his proper position before his wife so she might see herself, herself well. Let, let me... Let me try to be practical here for a moment, okay? Let me show you where we can make some errors. I'll bring it back to the front, too. So, so let's say that, that I'm a husband. 
let's say that, that with things going on at the church for the women in particular, women's Bible study, their breakfast, their book club, their, their, their dinners, times that the, the women get together. Let's just say Laura's not interested, not energized, too. I mean, she, she lives at home with the four-trip men. She's probably got to be pretty worn out. Or for a variety of reasons, just struggling to be a part of. What do I do? Wrong answer number one. Get your shoes on and get out of the house. I command you, hmm, careful with that word command, because I want you to notice it does say children obey your parents. It doesn't say wives obey your husbands. Okay? It does say submit. There's a big difference that we'll look at. Don't go bossing your wife around like she's a child under your charge. It's not how Jesus treats his church, but that's not what we're called to. I have to be thinking through, why, why would, why should my wife be participating in these things? Is it even necessary? Is it within God's will, or is it just it's a church, and churches have programs, and you have to show up at programs because it makes you a better Christian, and and if you don't show up, it looks weird, and people harass you, and they ask where you are, and it's just, just show up. It's easier. We see, I want to encourage my wife that I'm not equipped to care for her fully. I want to encourage my wife that, that God calls her to love others in the church and position herself to be loved by others in the church. I want to encourage her that through those things she's able to know and be known and build relationships even within the women as they're sitting under the sanctifying effect of the Word of God and that more uh, private application of the Word of God so that they can be encouraging one another more fully to their identity in Christ. I don't want to force her out the door, but I do want to encourage her to walk more fully in what God calls her to, not what she feels capable of, but I want to do it gently and with kindness and grace. If my wife's agoraphobic, you know what agoraphobia is? It's a fear of being out and about in public places. How cruel and harsh would it be to force an agoraphobic person out of the house? But husbands, you know what headship looks like? It might look like you getting in the car and sitting in the parking lot so that you can enable your wife to get out of the house. That's servant leadership, isn't it? You, you see, it's, it's helping our wives understand how God calls us to live, encouraging them to live as he calls them to, and to do all in our power so they might pull it off. Right? Quran's got three kids in the house now. Biblical headship is not saying to Chrissy, you had two weeks, it's time to get back to work, honey. It's about thinking, how, do, how does he as the husband, this isn't just Quran, this is for all of us, seek to serve the wife, setting an example for her as a servant before her, for her good in love, doing all that he and we can do to equip our wives to see themselves as Christ sees them. So I started out by, husband tells his wife, sheets have to be done on Fridays. What does the wife do? Now watch how tricky this is. You want to know what the wife should do? Biblically? Biblically, I'm talking about. Do the sheets. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying like, like where I grew up. You know, the wife's place is at the home. Isn't there a kernel of truth in that? Right? Isn't the husband's place in the home too? 
Don't, don't think about traditional family values. The wife shouldn't be talking out the home. You keep, keep it zip, zipped up, talking home. Right? No. No. If I were a wife, I'd do the sheets. Put them on. Why? To the glory of God. But I wouldn't stop there. Here's what I'd do second. I would say to my husband, would you do me a favor? Yeah, what? Could you talk to some of the guys at church about this? Would you ask them if, if this is what Jesus would call you to do? And, and, and honey, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm wrong. But, but would you ask? I don't need to ask. I'm the head I know. Okay, so now I know what I'm working with. Maybe, can we maybe sit down with the pastor and chat with him? Because remember, submission is not abandoning your husband to his sin. But, but guys, don't we all still struggle with sin? We need our wives to help us identify and overcome our sin. Because what the wife wants to do is get the husband to the place of him seeing that the wife doesn't exist to serve the husband, but the husband should come in to serve the wife. Do you see that? And the wife's living with the desire to serve the husband. And it sounds a whole lot like Ephesians 5.21, where this whole thing began mutually submitting to one another. So when the husband tells the wife she can only spend $100 a week on herself, what if that's all he's got of disposable income? He's like, hey, I'll spend nothing on me, honey. You take it all for yourself. That sounds very different, doesn't it? What, what? But, but, but wives, don't just sit there and don't speak. Submissiveness doesn't mean, like, silence. Have a conversation. Y'all got messed up husbands. We don't have messed up wives. Y'all got messed up husbands. We're, we're all recovering sin addicts. Point your husbands to the other men in the church. Men, converse with one another about how you pull this off. Otherwise, you'll become functional Jesus at home and you will make a mess. Tells the wife what activities the kids may and may not be a part of. Is that the husband's role? It's a good conversation to have, isn't it? Right? My boy's going to play football come hell or high water. Don't you sign him up for that band, honey. Right? Maybe a conversation had there. Because what, what if he's like, you know, four foot three and 62 pounds soaking wet, but man, he can blow on a trumpet. Conversation needs to take place. Not just to, I, I know a guy who had cameras in his house. Notice I didn't say on his house, in his house to keep an eye on his wife and kids during the day. This is back in the prehistoric times when people actually went to an office for work. That's not biblical headship. That's frightening control. But you know, believers can do that. The wife in that situation should be loving her husband enough to say, I'm not quite sure this is right, can we talk to someone about this? Would you ask some of the men in the church that you're living in fellowship with if this is right, normal, God-honoring? If he doesn't, don't give up on your husband. Submission does not mean passively sitting home, certainly not taking abuse. 
but certainly not enabling your husband in his sin. But notice this passage is about, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's the goal in marriage, my friends. Yes, we're going to have pick up and clean up as we do this, but here's the goal in marriage. The wife submits to the husband, and the husband submits to the wife. Mutual submission. You say, that's not what the text says. It's exactly what it says. How does a husband submit to the wife? By living as the head of the wife. How does a wife submit to the husband? By submitting to the husband. This is not about executing activities in the home. This isn't about making the most orderly environment you can create. Listen, those are normal and necessary conversations. You should, if you're married, probably sit down and have conversations about budget. You should. You know why? If you're one flesh, you got one, one bucket. If I, if I start, I mean, we'd have an awkward situation. When I was in seminary, Laura worked and I spent money on education. So I, I had to be nice because she could say to me, what do you mean you're going to give me a hundred bucks this week? You didn't even earn a hundred bucks this week, seminary student. Well, well, now I like it better. She's home with the kids, right? Like, mm-hmm. I bought three shoes. You got none. You see the problem? We're selfish by nature. But what this is, is a call to selflessness. It's a call to living in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a call to see, not only is she my wife, not only is she a child of God, she is one flesh with me. So if I want to understand headship, I need to understand the love of God for his church. And married or not, can we just take a minute and land this here clean? Do you understand how God sees you? It's not like this technicality of, well, a couple thousand years ago, I died on a cross to save you by myself, from myself, for myself, and you won't go to hell. You live with me forever in glory, and I love you. I, I think you've missed the point. God saved you because he chose you before the foundation of the world to be his. He intentionally chose you and delighted to choose you and make you a dearly beloved child of his. God has fondness and affection for you as his child. Do you understand that? Do you understand what that means? Because not only does he feel fondness towards you, he's sovereign over all things. So now when you read in scripture, if God is for us, who can be against us? Do you kind of get what's going on? It's not only that he's all-powerful, it's he's all-powerful and he loves you. And he is violently protective of you. And his eye is always upon you. And he will not let anything happen unless it is for your good. This is our God. So when he says, fear not, make a little more sense? Just to hear God is in control doesn't do me a lot of good. But to hear God is in control and God loves me perfectly, now we're, we're a little bit different here. See what's going on? As I understand God's love in particular for his church, it gives me the ability by his spirit to understand husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. You don't leave a verse like that and go, okay, got it. No, no, no. 
You leave a verse like that and you go, how am I supposed to do that? Right? You ever hear Jesus bickering with his disciples? I, I, I told you to stab in the garden, you all fell asleep and I do all this stuff. God, help. God, how? Well, do you remember how we got here from Ephesians 1 all the way up to Ephesians 5? And this is the key of, of preaching through a book in the Bible. You remember what was going on before we got to this section? We were talking about walking in love. Remember we were looking previously at the, the new life in Christ that we have and how to walk in it? Remember we were talking about unity in the body? diversity in the body. If, if you lose those things and just try to pull off marriage, I got news for you, it ain't going to work very well. But as we submit ourselves to the headship of Christ, by the power of his Holy Spirit, through the sanctifying work of his word, he enables us to be what he has made us to be and to live as he has called us to live. So my friends, we'll finish this off next week, but understand what Christ is doing in all of our lives right now is he is sanctifying us so he might present us to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing so that we might be holy and without blemish. He's preparing us to live with him and delight in him in the fullness of who he has made us to be as we see him in the fullness of who he is. That's kind of your charge, husbands. Equip your wives to be all that she can be in Christ and to see the whole Christ as all that he truly is. The nitty-gritty practicalities of how you pull this off, you want to know where they show up? Living in fellowship with one another. The sanctifying effect of the word of God. Trusting that, that God will equip us to do all that he has called us to as we walk in joyful obedience to him. But ultimately, foundationally, it starts with seeing the love of God for his people so that the Spirit sanctifies us and enables us to walk in that love for one another. Remember, Jesus says, love one another with a qualifier as I have loved you. Husbands, love your wives with a qualifier as Christ has loved the church. What, what is love? Let's turn here and we'll, we'll end on this text because Halliday is not the one who answers that question properly. Turn to 1 John. Go to verse 4. Verse 4, chapter 4. You, you look at verse 9. It says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You go down to verse 19, it says, We love because he first loved us. What is love? God is love. How do we love? 
because God first loved us. What does love look like? Well, for husbands to wives, it looks like caring for your wife as Christ cares for and loves his church. Now I'll round this out next week because I want you to see where this all connects. It says, in the same ways husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. My friends, remember way back in those days, husband and wives, when you, you stood up there and she was dressed in that beautiful gown, and you were wearing that marvelously pressed, rented tuxedo? And those words passed through your lips you weren't paying that much attention to, perhaps. Do you promise to honor and obey in sickness and in health, for better or for worse? They meant something. Maybe you parsed out that obey word. It's pretty common today, right? Husband, do you promise to love and to cherish? Right? Then, then, then you hear that, that line, what God has joined together, let no man separate. You never really understood what you were saying, did you? Wait, what do you mean you're one flesh? Like, we're two people. I don't know if you've noticed. We don't become Siamese twins. What is this obeying thing? Now, careful. Notice it says submit. We'll get that straight. Cherish? Cherish in what sense? As Christ cherishes his church. How am I supposed to do that? It's only one way, through being born anew and being filled by the Spirit. Come back next week, please, so we can round off this text. And then the week after, drag in all the kids you can. We'll talk about children and parents. Let's pray. Father, would you help us, please, to see ourselves as you have made us in Christ, and to see Christ in his majesty and splendor, in the grace and mercy you bestow upon your people. Lord, may we understand this text is really not primarily about marriage in the sense of husbands to wives, but about you and your church. For Lord, there are no single Christians. We all have a groom, you. We as the church are your bride. And each earthly marriage is simply designed to be a signpost that points to you. <clears throat> Help us today, I pray, Lord, for the husbands to fulfill this incredibly important and noble and God-honoring and exalting position, which we can only do in your power, through your grace, Help us to love our wives as you, Lord Jesus, love your church. 
Help us to see ourselves as you see us, so that little by little, Holy Spirit, you might prune us of the sinfulness that resides in our hearts. For on our own, all of us are quite selfish. All of us still fight for our kingdom. All of us want our will to be done. But we pray, Lord God, little by little, we would delight in your will, in seeking first your kingdom and serving rather than demanding service to ourselves. And I pray, Lord, that we do this in a way where we seek the best for our wives according to your word. That we seek to love and cherish and honor them as you love and cherish and in a very real sense honor your church, which you will glorify by fighting as husbands for the progressive sanctification of our wives positioning them to be in the places where you call them to be so that your means of grace might be applied to them, speaking to our wives as what they really are, precious children of the Most High King, declaring to them the beauty they have in their person and in their identity in Christ. Lord, we pray you forgive us for the so many times we fall short, and we pray you will enable us to treat our wives as you treat the church. A church you give generously, abundantly, sacrificially to. A church whose interests you consider ahead of your very own. A church you are willing to die for. A church you are willing to be humbled for. A church you are willing to be humiliated for. Lord, may we as husbands follow in your footsteps. And Lord, may we as men live as you call us to amongst the other men, so by your Spirit you might work mightily to help us see ourselves as you intend us to be seen. And most of all, Lord, help us as your church to rest in you well, to see you as who you truly are, not an aging, distant deity but the one true God who never ages, within whom there is no variance or shadow due to change, the immortal, invisible, only wise God. Lord Jesus, help us. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Lord Jesus, help us enjoy you as you have saved us too. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Derek, you're going to close us out today.